All right, let's open our Bibles up to Matthew chapter 3. I am happy to be here at Weimar. I don't know how many of you know this, but I used to be a Bible teacher here in 1986. So how many years ago is that? About that 25 years ago. Is that right? 86, 96, 106, about right. I was very inspired last night by listening to Pastor Clark's talk. And he was very honest and shared some things that were very personal to him. And as a result of listening to what he said, I decided to add a whole host of things uh, this morning that I've never shared ever uh, publicly. It's not been recorded anywhere. Some of it's probably going to shock you. And I guess it's a, um, a little bit risky to put this onto audio verse, but I, I think, well, it was so long ago that this happened that hopefully I'm safe in sharing what I'm going to share. But I'd like to start out with prayer, so if you want to kneel, let's kneel. This is the morning manna time, and a good place is on our knees as we begin our, our Bible study. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for this convocation here at Weimar. Thank you for the chance that I have to be here, and we just pray for the Holy Spirit as we open the Bible and as we think about Jesus and his, his power and, Lord, what you want to accomplish in our lives. Please bless us now. May the Holy Spirit be with us. Please take what I'm going to say and may it reach many people and may it just touch their hearts and accomplish what you want it to accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, my title's called Repent. Just one word, repent. And first I'll share a number of Bible verses. It's amazing how much the New Testament talks about repentance. Matthew chapter 3. We find the ministry of John the Baptist. And in verses 1 and 2, beginning of the New Testament, it says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, and what was the first word that he preached? Repent. Repent. That's right. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you turn the page to chapter 4, after Jesus was baptized, chapter 4, verse 17 says, From that time, Jesus began to preach. And what did he say? What was the first word he used? Repent, right, same word. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Acts chapter 2 takes us to Peter's Pentecostal sermon. Got a whole study and it's another talk. It's called Peter, You, and Pentecost 2. Describes what Peter went through, his denial before the fire of Jesus three times and how he wept bitterly and how lost he felt he was, but how the Lord used that experience to bring him to a deeper repentance and then to change his life. And then he used him on the day of Pentecost to convert 3,000 people. God often, always really, has to prepare his people in order to give his message. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. When those that listened to Peter's preaching were convicted... It talks about how they were pricked in their hearts 
at the preaching of Peter about Jesus and about what had happened to him. And they said, what do we do? Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then in verse 38, Peter said to them, and again, what's that first word? Repent, right. Repent and be baptized. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, near the conclusion of the Laodicean message. Revelation chapter 3. This is a special message particularly to God's end time church. And I'll talk more about this on Sunday morning when I give my talk called the straight testimony. But in verse 19, Revelation 3.19, Jesus said, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and do what? Repent. And repent, right? Be zealous, be earnest, and repent. And that is the Lord's special call to his church, to his people. Pastor Clark last night talked about two keys of revival. One being a true understanding of the character of God. And I'll be talking about that later on today in my breakout sessions, three meetings on the character of God. Or actually that's gonna be the second three meetings. First three meetings are on Satan and media. And then the second three meetings are about the character of God. And I strongly believe that we need to have a true understanding of the character of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. That is just uh, foundational for our relationship with him. And then the second thing he talked about is that we need last night is that we need a true understanding of ourselves. And those are just two powerful truths. The second one is uh, often more difficult. Well, I don't know if it's more difficult. They're both difficult unless the Holy Spirit opens our eyes. But I'd like to build on what he said last night and I'd like to add two key dimensions of repentance, two key uh, kinds of repentance. One of them is repentance of our evil actions, things that the Lord convicts us about that we have done. And the second, which is often much more difficult to discover, and that is repentance for, as Ellen White refers to it as the deep-seated sin of the soul. It's, it's easier to repent of our actions than it is to really discover the deep-seated sin of the soul. Uh, one more Bible verse. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 to 26. 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26. These verses are so powerful. Verse 24 says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, and this is the key I want to focus on, if God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. What a powerful passage. People can become captives of Satan and be led by him to do his will. And the only way that we can get out of this captivity is if God works, if God does something and opens our hearts and gives us repentance to the knowledge, to the acknowledging of the truth. Uh, one of my books, I've written quite a few books, is called From Hollywood to Heaven. 
and I'm not going to go into a lot of details about that right now, but just quickly, um, Pastor Clark last night shared his personal story of, of growing up in the church and then eventually realizing that he had the deep-seated sin of his soul. And he talked about one of the things, and I've heard this many times, that he often thought of as he was growing up is that you know, the people that come from the outside often have more of a testimony because they're, they go out and they do all these things, then they become Christians. And he wrestled with that and, said, and just eventually discovered that he didn't need to go out and then come in because he had enough deep-seated sin of his soul already. And it's sad that a lot of people that do go out, they never do come back. So I certainly don't recommend it. But when I think about my life, I, I grew up very differently than Pastor Chester Clark. I grew up on the outside. I was born uh, in the Hollywood area uh, in Los Angeles. I grew up in the Hollywood Hills for the first 20 years of my life. Uh, I didn't read the Bible. I didn't pray. I didn't know anything about Jesus. I didn't have any Christian friends. My family's Jewish. We celebrated the Passover culturally a few times. I didn't go to the synagogue. I wasn't bar mitzvahed. Uh, I was just a secular kid growing up in the Hollywood Hills. Went to public schools most of my life. Uh, as a teenager, I just became lost in, in the Hollywood world. Lost in the world of drugs and discos and parties, um, rock and roll. That was my life. My hair was very long as a teenager. I became a drug dealer. People used to go in and out of my uh, window at night at two or three in the morning and I would sell them drugs. And that's my old life. That's, that life is, is a long, long gone. Uh, when I was 19, I began to meet Christians in strange places. And when I was 20, to make a long story short, I turned on a, a television set one day, saw George Vandeman one time, learned about the Sabbath, got a book in the mail about the Sabbath, which I ordered, eventually found an Adventist church in Canoga Park, met the pastor who handed me a copy of the book Desire of Ages, and when I read that book cover to cover, it completely changed my life, totally. I mean, it gave up my marijuana, my cocaine, my discos, my rock and roll music, all that just went out the window. And within a very short time of reading Desire of Ages, God ripped me out of uh, Cal State Northridge, where I was going to college, trying to go to college when I was using these drugs, and then landed at La Sierra College studying for the ministry. It happened in about a month, a month's time. And it was just uh, shocking to me to land at La Sierra, and one of my classes, one of my first textbooks was, was Desire of Ages. And I was so excited. This was in 1979, this was 32 years ago. I was as excited as excited could be. I was a brand new Christian, I'd given up all those old ways, changed all my friends. Now I was going to Afterglow, I was uh, learning guitar. I met this man who was a dentist in the La Sierra area and he had down in the basement of his, uh, his practice, he had boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of books. Desire of Ages, Great Controversies, Patriarchs and Prophets, Steps to Christ. And I met this man and he loaded me up with books. And I, I had a little Datsun B210 car. And on the weekends, I would drive from La Sierra back to Studio City where I, where I had grown up and I stayed with my dad. And I would go down to Hollywood Boulevard and pass out books. And I would take people with me from the school. And I remember driving down the highway in my little Datsun B210 and I had uh, all of, in, in the passenger seat, the uh, car was packed with books. The back seat was totally packed. 
the trunk was totally packed. And my, my uh, car was so heavy that as I was driving down the road, the wheel wells were scraping upon, the, the tires were scraping on the wheel wells. And I remember driving down the highway thinking, my, I'm a carrier. I've got all these books full of truth, and I'm going to go down to Hollywood Boulevard and pass them out. And I did this with friends. And, and people started coming to our church in Canoga Park. We'd meet them on the street, and they were baptized. And the youth group began to grow. And uh, the pastor was amazed. And all these things happened, and it was just La Sierra made me the director of off-campus evangelism. I learned how to play guitar. I started a, a youth group. We started with about three people, and we eventually got to like 30, and people were baptized. And it was just an amazing experience. And I was, I was really um, on fire for the Lord. I mean, God used me in, such a, in, in a mighty way. And it was, uh, it was powerful. It was wonderful. I kept reading Desire of Ages. I read Great Controversy. I started reading the testimonies. I just was in love with Jesus. And um, it was fantastic. The best days of, some of the best days of my life. I don't know if they were the best because right now it's pretty good too. Uh, the Lord has been so good to me. I still love Jesus. God has been so good to me. But anyway, where I'm going with this is... Uh, after a couple of years at La Sierra, and then I went to Bakersfield. I was hired by the Central California Conference, went to Bakersfield as an intern, and then the conference sent me to the seminary. And after being an Adventist for four or five years, something began to happen inside of me. It was very mysterious, and I did not understand it, what was going on. But, but it was just, it was a slow process. But little by little, the Bible began to lose lose its power in my life. And, and, and what I mean by that is, um, Chester, you mentioned last night that when you were going through your dark days, you found a lot of comfort in reading the Bible and the writings of Ellen White. That was like a little zone where you were blessed. Well, what happened to me was actually the opposite. As I continued to read my Bible, it, the Bible just became more and more distant to me. I mean, it was right there and I was reading it and I was trying to connect. But something just wasn't connecting. And the same thing happened with Ellen White and, uh, and her books. Uh, I, I, I began to, I continued to read Desire of Ages. I remember at the dorm at, uh, at Andrews, I was staying in Berman Hall. I was a seminary student. I was reading Desire of Ages, reading Gethsemane, reading about the cross. And, and some, for some reason, it just wasn't, it wasn't reaching me. And I started getting scared. I started thinking, what is going on? Lord, where are you? Uh, where's the peace that I used to have? Where's the joy that I used to have? Where's the power that I used to have? And, and little by little, it just, it just uh, started going away. And, and I was still witnessing, and I was still taking classes, and I was you know, preparing for the ministry, but inside, Something was going on, and, and I was starting to enter into what you might call a wilderness, a wilderness experience. And I just couldn't connect. I just couldn't connect. I prayed. I agonized. I said, God, what's going on? Help me to have the peace of Jesus that I used to have. I was going through the motions, but that joy just wasn't there. And as time went on, it became uh, more and more difficult for me to maintain my Christian experience. Now, at that point, uh, I, I, 
and I won't even mention his name, but one of my La Sierra friends who was studying for the ministry eventually also landed at the seminary. And he and I connected again, and we became roommates. And now we're both seminary students. And I don't know really all the details of what completely went on in his heart, but um, he began to really doubt a lot of the things of our message. He doubted a lot of the things that are in the Bible. He doubted a lot of our interpretations of prophecy. He doubted uh, a lot of things in the writings of Ellen White. And he began to influence me. He got into psychology, uh, humanistic psychology, and he had a very powerful mind. I mean, this was a strong young man. And I was struggling. I mean, I was just, uh, what's going on? Lord, help me to understand. And I was searching for, for peace in my heart. And I uh, started listening to my friend. And we had all kinds of conversations. And, um, and I'll just, I'll tell you, this is a very amazing thing. Like I said, I've never said this publicly. But as a result of the influence of my friend, uh, the two of us decided, and I told him, you know, I just, can't, I just can't hardly read Ellen White's writings anymore. They just don't work for me anymore. Something's just not connecting. And uh, I'm pretty sure that it was his suggestion. He said, you know, you need to, you need to make a break with your past so you can move on and have a, you know, hopefully reconnect with God. And he suggested that we take all of my Ellen White books, and I had a whole lot of them, take them out to the back of Berman Hall, into the woods, and have a big bonfire. You can believe that. And so that's what we did. We carried this big box of books way into the back, and we, uh, we, we, we lit a match. And I, I don't know how many books were in that pile. And believe it or not, you know, after we did that, we prayed. I prayed, Lord, help me to, uh, to find you again. And if these writings have become a, a problem in my life and, and part of the barrier between me and you, I'm willing to do whatever I need to do in order to reconnect with God. And so that's what happened. We burned them all and I got rid of them. And I continued to try to read the Bible and continued to try to connect. But it still wasn't working. I graduated from the seminary, uh, went to Pacifica near San Francisco, and started pastoring again. And my, what a struggle that was. I, I did a revelation seminar. I'm preaching on Sabbath. I'm trying to lead my church members to the Lord. I had two churches, a little Russian church and also a small English church in Pacifica. One of them was in the city and one of them was in, uh, along the coast. And it was at that point that I finally reached the crossroads. I, I, I came to the Great Divide. And I remember getting on my knees in uh, Pacifica, right, an apartment right on the beach, overlooking a cliff, looking at the ocean, the Pacific Ocean. And, I, and, and the, the um, struggle inside me became so intense that I finally said, God, if I don't reconnect with you, I'm, I'm going out. I cannot continue to pastor. I'm going to go back to the world. I thought about going back into business, thought about you know, maybe reconnecting with my old friends. Uh, it was a real struggle for me. I mean, I was right on the edge. I don't know if any of you have ever felt like you've been on the edge, but I was on the edge. And uh, one night, I turned off the lights in my apartment. I was single. Turned off the lights, got on my knees, and in the, in the darkness 
of this little room, I prayed like I'd never prayed before. And I just said, Jesus, you know, you have got to, uh, to do something because I'm, you know, if you don't, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave the Seventh-day Adventist church and go back to my old ways. And uh, somewhere during that prayer, the, the, the Lord impressed me with a Bible verse. And the verse was in John 16, I think it's verse 13, that says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And I started praying that verse. And I started praying, Lord, give me the spirit of truth and guide me into all truth. And I started praying intensely and earnestly for the Holy Spirit in a way that I had not prayed before. And, and at some point during that period, maybe, maybe during that prayer or a similar prayer, um, I, I, I had this mental picture of the Ten Commandments rising up in the sky. And I looked at them one by one. And the first one, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not have any idols. Don't take my name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. And I, and I looked at them, and the Holy Spirit revealed to me one by one by one how I had, in ways that I hadn't really understood, I had been breaking God's law. And, and, and then underneath all that, he started showing me, uh, he started convicting me of what I referred to a little while ago as the deep-seated sin of my soul. And I started studying about pride I started studying about Lucifer and Lucifer's pride, how that's why he got kicked out of heaven. I studied about Israel's pride. I saw it in, in Hosea. I saw it in Isaiah. I saw it in all kinds of verses. I saw Jesus teaching about the proud being humbled and the humble being exalted. I saw Revelation where they said, we're rich and increased with goods and in need of nothing, the spirit of Laodicea. And then I saw the same spirit in Babylon, where Babylon said, uh, I'm, I'm a queen and, and no widow and will see no sorrow. And I, started, and I started seeing the spirit of pride, the spirit of self, the deep-seated sin of the soul. I started understanding this in a way that I, I hadn't understood it before. And, and to make a long story short, basically what was happening was God showed me that the reason why I lost my experience with Jesus uh, in those early days was because even though I was on fire for the Lord and I was teaching and giving out, bi giving out books and bi doing Bible studies, uh, there was still a subtle pride in me. You know, I was, I was a powerful Christian and I was a new Christian and I, and I knew the truth and I had the message and God had called me and all the other Adventists that were Laodicean, you know, they needed to wake up. And, and I didn't realize it, but there was a subtle form of pride inside me that I had no clue, that I didn't see. And that root is what led to my uh, slow departure from the Lord in my experience. That's what happened. And that's why I wasn't able to understand or at least to be moved by Ellen White's writings anymore. And that's why I wasn't able to be moved by the Bible. That's why I'd read all these verses and they just, they fell on deaf ears. Or at least they didn't penetrate. And that's why when I prayed, it seemed like my prayers didn't go uh, above the ceiling. And, and that's why I, went and I entered my wilderness experience. And I remember when I got on my knees in that apartment 
And the Lord started showing me this, the subtle, the subtle self within me, uh, I realized that I've got to make a choice. Am I going to go back out to the world or am I going to slowly retrace my steps and not only repent of my actions of burning all the books that I burned at Andrews uh, or, or, and also, but the subtle stuff, you know, the subtle self, the subtle pride, the subtle worth, the subtle things that were uh, deep inside me. I had to repent of all of that, all of that, the actions and the deep-seated sin of the soul. And I made a choice there in that, in that room. I made a choice. I was going to retrace my steps. Instead of going back out to the world, back to the discos, back to the parties, back to the drugs, back to the cocaine, I was going to retrace my steps. And I was going to humble myself. And I was going to go step by step by step, repenting, repenting, repenting to try to reconnect with God. And when I made that choice, I tell you, at one point, it, it just seemed like every demon in hell was looking right at me and just opposing me, saying, don't do it. You don't want to do this. You want to go back to the world. The world's calling you. Think how easy it was out there. No struggle, no problems, at least like you're having now, no internal battle. You can just coast, just go back to the world. And I, it was like they were all looking at me, just with their faces saying, don't do it. And I looked back at them and I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going back to Jesus. And I went through this process of repentance, repentance, repentance. And the Lord did this for me because I was in, as uh, this verse says, I was in the snare of the devil. Verse 26 talks about the snare of the devil and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who has been, who are taken captive by him at his will. And uh, just a, a couple months after getting to, uh, to Weimar, I'm, I'm sorry, to uh, San Francisco, I visited Weimar Institute, and within a short time, I was offered a job to teach academy Bible classes. And I left, I left the Central California Conference. I left um, um, pastoring, came here, started teaching, and continued my journey. And I, I moved into Hillside, a little dorm over there, a little corner room. And I continued reading and reading and reading and reading and praying and praying and repenting and repenting. And I tell you, there were days when I could, I could, uh, when I could feel demons come out of me. I mean, I would pray and I could feel them coming up and they would go out. And I would just go, ah! And I could feel it. Something would leave my body. This happened numerous times. And, and nobody really knew about this. I didn't tell anybody this. All I did, all they knew me was Pastor Steve teaching Bible, Bible classes over in those uh, classrooms. But step by step by step, the Lord reconnected me. He took away my, uh, my wilderness experience. He brought me out. The writings of Ellen White, again, began to become powerful to me. The Bible began to become powerful to me. God granted me repentance, leading me back to the knowledge of the truth. He showed me not just my actions, but the deep-seated sin of my soul. And he reconnected me, and, the, and the, my conscience began to get clear. And the peace began to come back into my heart. The joy of Jesus became, became real to me again. And I started praising God and thanking him, Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much for what you've done in my life. And step by step by step, and that was uh, 1986, 1987, 1988, and between then and there, between then and now, uh, the Lord led me into amazing facts. I worked as an evangelist for six years. I went back to pastoring. I got ordained. 
I went to Texas, eventually met my wife, got married. Now I have two little children, a three-year-old, a six-year-old. I direct Whitehorse Media. We have television programs. I've written a lot of books. And the Lord has uh, brought me back to an experience with him, but he has taught me a big lesson. And that is the subtle danger of self and pride and how we've all got to be careful these things don't subtly come in and infect our experience, infect our experience and separate us from Jesus, which can happen to any one of us. And God is leading uh, a people to repent. Ellen White says that at every advanced step, our repentance will deepen, 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 deepen. And I just, you know, this is just my story. Um, I strongly believe in the writings of Ellen White. The Lord was very merciful to me. I burned all those books, but he forgave me. Amen. He forgave me. And now I still read Desire of Ages. I still read the testimonies. I still read Great Controversy. I still read Steps to Christ. I'm reading my Bible. I'm back on track by the grace of God. And there's not a, there's not a demon in hell that's going to get me off track as long as I remain humble and trusting in Jesus Christ and let him bring me deeper and deeper to repentance, to the knowledge, so I have the knowledge of the truth. So I hope this has been valuable to you. My time is out. My time is up. Uh, let's go back to the Bible verse, and I'll just read this again before we close. Verse 24, 2 Timothy 2.24 says, The servant of the Lord must not strive but be gentle to all men. If we're going to be servants for Jesus, we can't afford to be proud and self-righteous and look at all the other people like Peter did. And, you know, Peter said, Lord, if everybody else uh, falls away from you, I never will. I'm loyal Peter. And that was his sin before his fall. And then God brought him through his fall, turned his life around, and then used him to convert 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost. So that attitude we cannot afford to have. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. As Pastor Clark mentioned last night, we need a true knowledge of the character of God and we need a true knowledge of ourselves. And as I want to stress right now, repentance has, there's two things we need to repent of. Um, not just the wicked things that we've done or said, our actions, but we need to deeply repent of the deep-seated sin of the soul. And only the Holy Spirit can show you or show me the depth of, of self in our lives. Only God can do it. So may God help us while we're here at this uh, conference to pray, Lord, show me if there's anything, show me if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, Lord, I've never shared these details before publicly. This is the first time. And I pray that you will use what I've said to, um, to speak to many hearts. I pray for everybody here 
pray for myself, Lord. Continue to give us repentance. Show us uh, the hidden depths of self and pride and the subtleties of the devil in leading us away from you. And Lord, help us to trust you with a firm faith that no matter what we're going through, no matter if we're in a wilderness experience, no matter what, what's happening, uh, your grace is sufficient for us. Your power is made perfect in weakness. And we can trust you and that you will lead us step by step to, to peace and love and joy and power in the Holy Spirit. Lord, prepare us for your second coming. Um, reveal yourself through us. Uh, give us your peace and your power, we pray in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.